Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Chuck Lawless. And I'm Caleb Iverson. And we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Pastors, once again, we are excited for Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, Like we mentioned last week, we've got a lot of fun things planned at the center, really just to express uh, our gratitude for the work that you're doing in your churches, and also just how we can just be an encouragement. Uh, We know pastoral ministry is tough, and so we just want to just encourage you. Uh, On our website, we're posting different articles just to express our encouragement to you, just to offer thanks. Um, So be sure to check those out every Tuesday and Thursday. And also just want to make you aware of the giveaways we're doing. We've got some fun merch and some books. So check us out on our on our Twitter page. You can enter in those giveaways. What we're really excited to announce is our Christ-Centered Exposition Conference coming up April 11th in 2024. Uh, we're going to be going through the Gospel of John, and we've got some awesome speakers lined up. We've got Dr. Matt Carter, Dr. Pace, and Dr. Quarles. And so this is a one-day workshop, so if you're interested, uh, be sure to check out our website. You can sign up, and we're also going to be giving away five tickets for the conference. So make sure to tune in and see if you can win those tickets. Caleb, we're talking today about a topic that when I started pastoring 40 years ago, I wish somebody had talked to me about, and that's the the pastor as counselor. Mm, yeah. uh, I, I did more counseling than I should have, and I certainly gave more advice than I had wisdom. Uh, and so I think this is an important podcast for our pastors. Our guest today is one of my, one of my good friends, Dr. Tate Cockrell, who serves as professor of counseling here at Southeastern. He also directs our D-Men and EDD studies programs. He holds the Fulp Chair of Biblical Counseling. And he has served as pastor of member care at the Church of Brook Hills. He served in other, other churches. He served at another seminary as well. And Dr. Cockrell, we are glad to have you on the podcast today. Man, thanks for having me. Just super excited to talk about counseling this morning. Tell us just a bit of your story. I always want our listeners to know about our, our faculty. Sure. Uh, I was saved at 16 uh, following the, the death of my brother. Whenever I was 16 years old, he died suddenly and unexpectedly at the age of 19. It, it kind of really upset you know, our, our family. My, my dad had come to faith in Christ later in life in his mid-30s. Uh, but as a result of all of those experiences, God used that to draw me unto himself, and so I became a believer at the age of 16. About a year later, uh, maybe a little more than a year later, so at the age of 17, um, God called me to, to ministry full-time. I originally thought that was to preach. Uh, I kind of only thought there were kind of three jobs in ministry. You were either the the preacher, the music director, or a missionary. Uh, you know, even student ministers. I just kind of saw those as that was that was kind of the farm league for Preachers you know. In b- 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 yeah, but yeah. yeah, that's right. Before you got called <laughs> up to the big leagues, uh, so I originally thought that it was preaching, and uh, so I started going to a Baptist university in Mississippi. And about a year into my program, um, my family really started to get healing through the ministry of counseling, mm. and so God used that to to not only call me into doing counseling specific in ministry, but a very specific calling to do counselor education specifically mm. with pastors. Um, some part of my story is that uh, I got mm. some really really bad advice from a mm. pastor uh, following the death of my brother. And he was a pastor who loved us. He was a pastor who I loved and respected until the day he died. Um, And he just didn't know any better. He had not really received Mm -hmm. any education about how to counsel well. And so 
he gave me and, and several members of my family some not so good advice about going through the grieving process. Uh, and it really hurt. And so mm. as a result of that, God used that experience to say, Tate, you, you can help the next generation of pastors and ministers that are coming behind you to know how to do this better than, than how it got handed to you. Uh, so one of the things I love about this podcast is I get to learn stories that I haven't heard. I didn't know a lot about you. So thank you for sharing that, uh, Tate. Tell us about, for this month, Pastor Appreciation Month, tell us about a pastor who made a big difference in your life. Yeah, so um, I'll tell you about a couple, actually. So my my home church pastor, the church where I grew up, where I was saved, where I was ordained to ministry, the pastor who married us, a guy by the name of D.J. Benson, he's gone on to be with the Lord. But, man, he was just such a man of God, and he loved the Word of God. Uh, we didn't even use Sunday school curriculum in my church because he was mm-hmm. like, people ought to study the Bible and the Bible only. And so we, you know, in Sunday school, we went through books of the Bible in Sunday school, uh, and he preached expositorily before expository, you know, before I even knew what expository mm-hmm. preaching was. Mm-hmm. Uh, every week he would preach uh, expositionally through a text. And uh, there's actually a funny story about that. Danny Aiken actually came to our church to do a January Bible study. Really? While he was there, he was in his probably mid-30s. Huh. I was a 17-year-old kid. He was probably mid-30s. He came to our church to do January Bible study, and on the Sunday that he was there, we had brotherhood breakfast. Okay. And our pastor had asked me to do the devotional for that morning. And so I did the passage on the armor of God, and I walked expositionally through the text. After I finished the, the devotional, about 15 minutes or so, I sat down, and he came, Dr. Aiken came over to me, and he said, who taught you to do that? And I said, taught me to do what? And he said, walk through a text mm. of Scripture like that. And I said, I didn't know there was any other way to do it, because wow. that's what my senior pastor had done. Every single sermon he ever preached was done that way. So it's the only way that I I knew to, 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 to do a text was to just walk through it expositionally. Um, but as a young minister, he invested in me at 17, allowed me to do mm-hmm. things like Brotherhood Breakfast, and he would allow me to help officiate, uh, you know, the Lord's Supper and, uh, you know, learn how to do baptism. And, you know, wow. he, he, he just really invested, allowed me to go to hospital visits with him. And so I just learned an awful lot through him and his, his love of, of our people. Um, and then one that was much more recently was whenever I was at the church at Brick Hills, you know, David Platt's known for being an incredible preacher. He's known mm-hmm. for being an incredible missions-minded, you know, take the gospel to the nations. And, and I would agree with all of that. But, man, he was an incredible pastor. And getting to walk alongside him, uh, he led with such humility, with such mm-hmm. integrity. Uh, it was really a, a great joy of my life to be able to serve alongside him and for him to be, you know, my pastor for those years that I was at the Church of Brook Hills. That's good. I, I would say to our listeners, to pastors, I'd encourage you to ask the question, who's that, that person I'm investing in right now who might tell this same kind of story that Tate just told 20 years from now? Yeah, that's right. So we, we've all got to be investing in somebody, and we need to be able to name that person. Well, let's let's get into our, our topic, Tate. Pastoral ministry is stressful. I I cannot imagine what young pastors are dealing with today. Uh, had you told me 40 years ago we'd be facing things that we're facing today, I think we would have laughed at you. Tell us what you're seeing as you minister to pastors. What what kinds of issues are they facing? Well, there's I think there's a couple of really big ones. Um, you know, for 
going all the way back as long as we've had pastors, the stress of expectations is always a problem, right? When you're trying to live up to expectations that sometimes are unspoken or unrealistic, most pastors, and this isn't, isn't anything new, they're dealing with that. And whenever I counsel pastors on a regular basis, I mean, they're really struggling with how do I get the work done that God has called me to do and do it in a way that, you know, honors the Lord, also honors my people. So that's been a longstanding one. But but I will tell you, one of the biggest ones right now is just the press of the culture around mm-hmm. our pastors. Watching them, to your point, <clears throat> to your point, Dr. Lawless, watching them try to navigate very unfamiliar waters mm-hmm. to them, whether we're dealing with politics or gender and sexuality issues, uh, things that, that you know, you and I, 30 years ago, whenever I was first beginning ministry, we just took for granted yeah, that people right. were going to have the same worldview as us. It's not just that the world has a different worldview than us. Many people in our pews mm. in our congregations have different worldviews than us. They've been so impacted by the culture. And so they're having to really ramp up their knowledge and understanding of, of you know, uh, political theory and, you know, the mm-hmm. gender and, and uh, you know, sexuality issues and all the things that are kind of pressing in around them related to the culture. Um, it's not – they can't just go to the Word and study the Word and know how to preach. They've got to know really how that's culturally relevant, and that's much more difficult today in a culture that, you know, I grew up in the south of, of the Bible Belt, right, right? right? So either everybody went to church or they at least lied and said that they went to <laughs> church because the expectation was that that's what you did, right? We were a Christian, culturally Christian community, uh, and that's not that's not the world that we live in today. And so the, the expectations of that and trying to figure out how to navigate that is a really, really big thing. And then I, I think the thing that I'm seeing probably as much as anything right now is the immense loneliness of so mm-hmm. many of our pastors. The statistics are frightening about how few pastors actually have genuine friendships in their life. So they're serving out there on the field. They're slugging it out. They're being obedient to the Lord. They're preaching and counseling and visiting and planning and praying, and they're doing all of that but they don't have an outlet for somebody mm-hmm. to walk alongside them. Many of them are, you know, single staff members. Many of them, you know, don't have a seminary education, so they're trying to figure it out, you know, as they kind of go it alone. Um, and so whenever I counsel them, you know, many of them for many, many years have never had a true friend in, you know, in their life. And so the relational difficulties that that creates with their family and with their wife, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a trickle-down effect that impacts really every single area of who they are. So for the listener who just heard you describe him, what do you say to that pastor? How do you help him from a, from a counseling perspective? You know, one of the things I would say, Dr. Lawless, is, and I don't know if you grew up hearing this, but the thing that I grew up hearing, and I understand the reason why people say it, but they say, you know, you can't really be friends with people in your church. That'll cost you your job. And I just really push against that. And so I, I would say to that pastor, and find a friend. And, and and that takes time, right? Like people will say, how do I find that person in my church? And I often say to them, you don't find that, you develop that, right? Mm, it's that's good. Meet some, mm. meet, meet some men in your life and begin investing in them. And as they prove to be trustworthy, then you open up a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And that's not just, you don't show up on day one and microwave a friendship, you know, in a pastorate any more than you microwave mm. a friendship in any other area of life. But if they never take that first step to say, 
you know what, I, I'm going to surround myself with some guys that I know love me and care about me and I can be vulnerable. They're going to have to take some risks to do that. So the first step I would say is take the risk to be vulnerable with somebody and at least the initial first step of just reaching out and taking somebody to lunch and beginning to develop those friendships. And that's a that's a great start. I, I grew up with the same philosophy. As a pastor, you don't get to know anybody too closely because either they will leave or they will let you down or the Lord will call you away and it'll all hurt. That's right. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful that I, as a young pastor, I was 20 years old when I started pastoring, so I needed, I needed friends. And I wasn't, I wasn't smart enough to even think about, all right, I should not develop friendships. I still have folks to this day that I could turn to that would help me if needed. Uh, and I'm very much an introvert. Those who know me, uh, I'm as high on the Myers-Briggs I scale as you can possibly get. But, but I have learned that I need friends. And if, if I can't be friends with the people I shepherd, hmm. I don't know how I shepherd them. Right. What else would you say to pastors? How else would you encourage them today? You know, one of the things that pastors, I think, feel probably as much as anything, at least a lot of them, maybe not all of them, but is a profound sense of unappreciation for Mm. the work that they do. And so one of the things I would just say to them is the work that you're doing, it's making a difference. Mm -hmm. You may not think that anybody sees it. You may not think that you're really – I'm sure that DJ Benson – you know, 40 years ago when he was taking the time to invest in me, he probably never imagined in a million years that I'd be sitting on a podcast mm. today talking about the difference that he made in my mm. life. I'm sure there are probably days he thought, man, do I really have to take the time to invest in that kid? But it made a difference in that kid's life, right? And so sometimes as pastors, we're looking for the immediate benefit, mm-hmm. but we're really, we really have to be about the long haul. And so I would encourage pastors today by saying the work that you do matters and that you mm-hmm. are making a difference. And even if you can't see it right now, trust that the Lord sees it and, and, and the people that you're ministering to see it, whether they voice that to you or not. I hope they'll be encouraged today to know that the work that they're doing, you know, that it, that it really matters. Uh, the image is on target, that we shepherd people today believing that God will use them even in greater ways. That's right. That he's used us. And we just, we just trust him to do that. When we get that right, I think it does help us have a long-term vision for, all right, Lord, just use me today. Southeastern understands that you have a strategic and valuable role to play in getting the gospel to your neighbors and the nations. That's why we offer over 40 degrees at the undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral levels to equip you to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Visit scbts.edu to learn more. Well, let's talk about Counseling in general. I, I mentioned as we started this podcast, I, I try to solve everybody's problem <laughs> as a young pastor. Sometimes, Tate, they were describing problems to me that I'd never heard of. But I, I thought as a pastor, if I'm the under-shepherd, it is my responsibility to get the answer from the Lord and be the problem solver. Yeah. Consequently, I did, I'm sure, gave bad advice. Consequently, I probably lay awake at night more than they did wondering about their issues. So help us as pastors think through what is our role in counseling? How do we do it? How much do we do? When do we refer? 
A lot of questions. Yeah, it's, such a, it's just such a great topic to talk about, Dr. Wallace. You know, first I would say that you're, you are exactly right. Every pastor has a responsibility to provide what I, what I call it is care and counseling hmm. to their congregation. For pastors, I would prefer that they focus more on the care side than they do on the counseling side. They, have a, still, they still have a responsibility to do counseling, but I think for most pastors, and especially if we're talking about senior pastors who have a responsibility to preach and teach every single week, they really need to set some limits on the number of sessions, the number of hours that they spend in counseling. Because if they don't, the better you are at it and the more you do it, then the more people come mm-hmm. to you and the more mm-hmm. they ask. And the next thing you know, the one thing that only you can do as the, the, the lead pastor, mm-hmm. the senior pastor who's preaching and teaching every week suddenly that one thing that you're really called to do that nobody else can do, you don't have time to do. You know, like you can't prepare wisely for your time in the pulpit. So uh, what I always tell pastors is think of yourselves as a triage counselor. Your job is to care, assess, stabilize, and then get them to the help that they need. And Mm -hmm. most of the time, the help that they need is, is going to be beyond them, and not because that pastor is not qualified to do it. In many cases, he is qualified to do it. But, I mean, you think about it. If you've got a congregation that has 200 people in it and 30 percent of your time is spent doing counseling, mm-hmm. and those counseling sessions stretch on for more than one or two visits with somebody, the next thing you know, you could be doing 20 hours of counseling within right. a year or 18 months of actually being on the field. So... What I say is, think of yourself as a triage counselor. Hand them off to somebody that 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 you think would be competent to be able to counsel them. Uh, refer them when it's outside your expertise. So, like if you just really don't know a lot about the topic, and you know it's beyond you know your knowledge and skill and training, then you know certainly just admit that. Just say you know, hey, there are people that are a lot better at this you know than 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 I am. I'm a counselor who's got over thirty five thousand hours of counseling. And I do that, right? Mm -hmm. Yesterday, I got a call from a guy, and he said, hey, my son's struggling with an issue. He's 16 years old. He's really struggling with OCD. You know, uh, I I don't know where they got my name from, but, you know, we would love if you would see him. And I said, I'd I'd like to ask you to call Dr. Williams on our faculty Mm -hmm. because Dr. Williams has forgotten more about treating OCD than Mm -hmm. what I know. And it's what he really loves. It's what he really enjoys. And so give him a call. And so I tell pastors, if you find yourself knowing that there are people out there that are better at it than you, then of course refer that. Or if the time demands or too much, or if that person's too close to you that you really can't be objective to provide counseling, then refer them. But I'll tell you my biggest encouragement to pastors as they think through doing counseling, the biggest help for them is if as a pastor they can develop a culture of care and counseling Mm -hmm. in their church. Mm -hmm. If they could help their members understand every single one of us have a responsibility to care and counsel one another. Every member in that congregation needs to have a vision for that, and they need to have a certain amount of training in that. Every staff member needs to have a certain amount of counseling training. Every small group leader, uh, you know, every elder, you know, staff pastor, they all need to have a certain amount of that. So the weight of that, the senior pastor, the lead pastor doesn't feel like I have to be the one who carries it all. 
because he can't. There's no possible way that one person is going to be able to do that. Yeah, think about here at Southeastern, we developed four or five years ago the GO certificate in church-based counseling. Hmm. And when we wrote that GO certificate, we wrote it specifically for what would a local church member who has no training whatsoever in counseling but who has a real desire to care well for one another in, within the body of Christ, what would they need to know? And so we built that ghost certificate from the ground up, seven classes specifically. We're not training a professional counselor. We're not training somebody that's going to go out and do big-time mental health counseling, but church-based ministry through counseling to members of their church is a great option for pastors. And if pastors would train you know, even just a, a team of you know, four to ten people in their church that would know how to do that, that senior pastor could instantly recognize a, a reduction in their counseling load. And here's the real kicker. There are people in their congregation that want to do that. They would be able to fulfill a calling in their life to be able to care well and counsel well the people in their congregations. And that's the GO certificate for our listeners. You can find information about that on our Southeastern website. Dr. Cockrell, Caleb is sitting here. He's preparing for pastoral ministry. He's thinking about these things. Do you have a general rule of thumb about the number of sessions a pastor ought to do before referring? Yeah, as a general rule, I tell pastors you should never do, I would say, cap it at five at the most, but my really what I, my goal would be three. So I would say between three and five sessions. And here's kind of my rule of thumb. Three sessions will allow you to triage and hand off. If you see that you could help them with a couple of additional sessions, probably easier just to go ahead and do those couple of additional sessions up until five instead of trying to refer them and have them start over with somebody else. So I say three's our target. Be willing to go up to five. Don't do many more than that. If you do many more than that, it's going to eat your lunch in terms of you know a, a weekly counseling load. Mm. Dr. Cockrell, maybe just a practical question on that as you were talking about the handoff process. Could you elaborate more on that of maybe a pastor is like, okay, I recognize this is out of, out of my expertise. Um, I'm not equipped to really handle this issue. How does he go about finding trusted counselors, and what does that process look like with care as they're pursuing counseling? Yeah, Caleb, it's such a great question. So a couple of things. Number one, one of the first things a pastor needs to do whenever he gets on the local church field is he needs to begin to develop a referral network. Like immediately, he needs to start asking people in the area, who do you know? Who do you recommend? You know, who's got a good reputation? Asking other pastors who have been there longer, who do you guys refer to for, you know, for marriage, for mental health, depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. children's issues, parenting, you know, marriage, whatever it is, go ahead and begin developing that referral network. Most counselors, and I can say this as a counselor, they don't have any problem if a pastor picks up the phone and calls them and says, you know, hey, could I take you to lunch or could I have a conversation with you? I'd love to hear your philosophy of counseling, your theory of counseling. We kind of love to know kind of how you approach counseling. I never have a problem with a pastor. I, I see that as, man, I've got a lot of respect for that pastor because he's really wanting to make sure that the people that he refers to are, are going to be good people. I say all the time, I, I will make no referral before I make a bad referral, mm-hmm. right? Because if you make a referral to someone that isn't going to give good counsel, maybe that's humanistic and not Christ-centered, and all of a sudden you've referred that church member and they're thinking, oh, well, my pastor thinks this person is good, so they're implicitly trusting what mm-hmm. this person yeah. is saying. Your credibility is is on the line. So sometimes I get requests for referrals and I'll say, you know, I really, I really don't know anybody, you know, in that area. I won't just go to the, 
you know, internet and just look for counselors in the area. Like if I've never talked to them or if I at least don't have one level removed from somebody who has recommended them, then as a general rule, I, I, I won't recommend them. So build a referral network, call, have lunch with counselors in the area, develop a network of people that are kind of your go-to people, you know, that you're going to use. And then here's the big thing about the referral. When you get ready to refer, even though you're handing off counseling, what you're not doing is handing off care. So what you're not doing is saying, okay, I've referred you to Counselor Joe Smith out there, and now that problem is theirs to deal with. The counsel portion of that is theirs to deal with. But as a pastor, continue to follow up, continue to pray, continue to ask, hey, how can I help? How can I pray for you? And I would even suggest, and I love it when pastors do this, ask your client, ask the, the parishioner, the, 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 your church member, ask them, to get that counselor to sign a what's called a release of confidential information so that pastor could actually talk to that counselor. And maybe once every couple of months, that pastor reaches out to that counselor and says, hey, can you tell me about my church member? How could we go along? How could I come alongside them and help them? How could the church best serve them as, as you're providing counsel for them? So while counseling gets handed off, care doesn't get handed mm, off. Yeah, that's helpful. That's really helpful. The differentiation with care and counseling, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and frankly, I'll remember that uh, for, for my own ministry. Dr. Cockrell, let me give you a chance to talk about the, the DMIN, the EDD. You, you oversee those programs. Talk to us about your love for those programs. This is your chance to do a commercial for, <laughs> for what you're overseeing. So yeah. the, the floor is yours. The yeah. microphone is yours. Well, I do, Dr. Lawless, love those two programs. They are distinctive and different from one another. The EDD is a, a, a terminal. It, it is somewhat of a professional degree program that focuses more on education, curriculum development, systems and processes, those sorts of things. Uh, we've got multiple specializations in, in the EDD. Students can do it in between three and five years. Uh, but if they're thinking maybe they want to teach one day at a, you know, a, at a, at a college or a university, an EDD is a, is a really good option if they think they want to do that a little bit. But also people serving in the church or in an entity, that would be a good fit for them as well. We ha- allow people to specialize in things like Christian counseling, discipleship and mentoring, organizational leadership, Christian ministry. So it's not all education. It just takes an educational, it looks at it through an educational lens at all of those topics that, that I just listed. The D-Men, on the other hand, it's a, it's a professional doctorate. Uh, it, it, again, about three years to do the D-Men, but it takes half the number of classes. And the D-Men is what we would call a skill-based degree. And mm-hmm. so basically what we mean by that is if someone's studying preaching and they come to do their D-Men, they're going to get better at preaching. If they're coming to do counseling, they're going to get better at counseling. They're not going to have exhaustive knowledge about those topics. They're going to get a comprehensive knowledge of those topics. Uh, but they're really going to get better at doing that, the skill of whatever that ministry is. So approximately three years to do, uh, to do the D-Man. And it really is designed, I would say, primarily, although we have individuals who are from, uh, you know, parachurch organizations or state executives and denominational workers, we have people who do the D-Man that, that are in, in those boats. But the majority of the people who come into the D-Man they're serving the the local church in some kind of pastoral role, uh, senior pastor, student pastor, associate pastor, administrative pastor, missionary, you know, director, you know, uh, uh, missions pastor, something like that. 
Uh, so it really fits well with their ability to be able to do ministry full time while also achieving the training that they want to get better at the ministry that God's called them to do. And both degrees a student can earn without moving to Wake Forest. Both degrees are modified residency. Uh, In the EDD, they come, uh, if they do the modified residency, they come four times a year for a week. The D-men, they come 12 days over two years. Um, Both of them also have a fully online option where they can actually come and they can do their degree uh, in a synchronous. It's, it's, It's not online like what we used to say online, which is you go watch mm-hmm. videos, they still participate in live classes as they are happening, but they can do them from their home or from their office. They have the option of being able to do that. Uh, not all students are, are eligible for that in the EDD. Uh, they have to live outside of a uh, of a certain distance to be able to do that. But the D-Man, it has a fully online option for anybody that wants to take advantage of that. How about pastors listening who would like to talk to you about coming to train some of their leaders. I'm, I'm giving you an opportunity to tell us how to connect with you about because I would love to see you have even more opportunity. I know you're already incredibly busy. Yeah. But if I'm a pastor, I want to know that you're available and how to reach yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. And I would love to talk to any pastor that's interested in sort of building that culture in their church and training people in their church and the seminary partnering with them. In fact, I didn't say this earlier, the seminary, if a, if a pastor in a church decides to take a group of students through the ghost certificate, they actually discount the cost of the, of the ghost certificate if they take a certain number of students through. But I'd love to talk to them. You can email me at my email address, tcockrell at scbts.edu. You can call our office, 919-761-2216. If you forget any of that, but you remember my name that's been said multiple times today, you can go to takecockrell.com and you can type in the you know message thing there. Hey, I want more information about, and we will connect pastors with whoever they need to talk to to be able to get the information that they need. That's good. Any final word of encouragement to pastors? Uh, I would just say, pastor, you are noticed. You're valued. Um, you know, if nobody's told you that, uh, recently. Uh, I, I value you. We value you here at Southeastern. And and more than any of us, the Lord values the work that you're doing today. So during Pastor Appreciation Month, if nobody else you know has, an op- has had an opportunity to tell you this yet, you're appreciated. Mm. Dr. Cockrell, you are appreciated as well. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. Yeah, it's been my privilege, Dr. Wallace. Thank you. I want to thank you listeners for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. And if you found this conversation helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give. And as always, it's our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope that we've done that with today's conversation. And as always, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.